Welcome to the Jerry T Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Dave Shields. And we just had a lot of magic last weekend. Uh, Dave, I don't know how much you were watching, but I had like multiple Twitches open at all times. And this was even with the NRG series not being able to stream because the venue was charging them so much for internet. Yeah, and a little unexpectedly too, I would say the quantity of magic over the weekend wasn't really something I was looking forward to, but a pleasant surprise. And I did catch quite a bit of it. Cool, that's that's good to hear because that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to go over some deck lists today, baby. And I'm, I'm kind of excited, uh, also kind of scared because I... I briefly glanced at like some of them, you know, and noticed a few sort of like trending things that was like kind of weird. Um, but, you know, there's there's some good stuff in here that we get to talk about. So that's good, too. Uh, so there was an Apex Gaming tournament in Ohio. There was an NRG series event in Michigan. And then there was an MXP event in Washington State. And I feel like I might be missing something, too. Maybe it was, you know, just those three. I mean, I guess there was like a bunch of moto events, as there always is. But, you know. Yeah, not a lot of love for the East Coast, I'll say, which is a unique complaint to have. That's normally where we get all the love here. But um, a lot of Midwest and West Coast events is uh, definitely unique. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, they, they deserve it. Uh, plenty of playing players out there. It is weird that it, it all happens like that on the same weekend. You know what I mean? Like, why isn't there like one Midwest, one East Coast, one West Coast or whatever? But yeah, it's fine. If East Coast just doesn't get a weekend once a year or whatever, I think that's okay. I mean, selfishly, I'd love for that to never happen, but I would say, yeah, more realistically, that's totally acceptable. Look, man, you don't even have time to go to all the events. I know that you would like it so that you have options, like plentiful, plentiful options. But I think things overall for us being on the East Coast is pretty nice. I would agree. All right. So because the NRG could not do their their coverage thing like they normally do, they no longer had need for Mason Clark to do commentary as he was slated to do. So then he went to the the stuff in Ohio at Apex and he made top eight of the modern thing and won the pioneer thing on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so just going to get that shout out real quick. I think that that is both hilarious and awesome. It's just like, oh, you don't want to pay me to talk about magic. I guess we'll just go win all your tournaments. Love it. But yeah, we, we are. Uh, I don't know. The pioneer thing was like, Mason won with mono green, uh, another mono green in top eight in the hands of Corey Bomeister. And yeah, Corey was the one that I forgot about. He was doing backpack streaming at the Apex thing too. Uh, but yeah, mono white humans, some Rakdos, some blue white control, Gruul is a Phoenix. Normal stuff. Not a lot happening in the Pioneer format. Just after the ban announcements, I'm excited to move on from Pioneer for quite a while. Oh God, was this the weekend I played Explorer too? It was. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Okay. There there was a lot that happened. I guess that was Friday. That was before most of this stuff kicked off. But uh, for those who are wondering, I did not win the tournament. In fact, uh, very few people won the tournament. Uh, they tweeted <laughs> out that, that one person qualified, <laughs> which doesn't seem right. I feel like when you're designing those sort of systems, that's not 
the ideal outcome, but what do I know? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit weird because you, you can't really predict it too much because I, I don't know exactly how they do the pairings, but you're certainly not paired against people that are of like records as you. And I'm not even sure if you're paired against people that are even in the same tournament as you always, just given how they have to make that work. But only one person coming out with an invite after, I, I can't even imagine how many people entered to start with the last chance qualifiers is definitely not ideal. Well, okay. So in the early days of those events, they used to go so hard trying to pair by record that I know that people would sit in the queue for like 30, 45 minutes. And then eventually they, they kind of loosened that up a little bit. I don't know how much to what degree. I don't know what it looks like now. I don't think that you're, you know, <laughs> playing your, your qualifier winning in against someone who's like silver playing on the ladder or whatever. That seems <laughs> pretty weird to me, but uh, that, that almost seems like more work than what it would be worth to even like code that stuff in, you know? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I've played in quite a bit of them more recently, and I don't remember ever sitting in the queue for more than 60 seconds. Right. And and that is because they have loosened it up. There, were also, there was also a situation where I think Michael Bonda was playing for his, his slot and then just sat in the queue for like two hours and never got an opponent. And then it was just like, uh, wizards. <laughs> <laughs> Please, please, please fix. Please help. Please do something, anything. And I think they eventually gave him an invite. I mean, he definitely deserves one after that if that's what happened. Yeah, it's just like, oh, no players left. Sorry. Yeah. So I would imagine in order to run something of that structure, you're going to need to open it up in some capacity. And I think rightfully so. They don't really, they aren't super transparent about exactly how that works, which is probably appropriate. So nobody can game that. But uh, nonetheless, difficult to predict how many you're going to get. But I'll tell you, one is definitely not ideal. And the fact that they even advertise that only one person qualified, I think is even a little bit more absurd. They're like, wow, isn't this cool? Like this was the only person. And it's like, I would just not have tweeted that. I would not have advertised that. (laughs) Just keep that to yourself. Yep. Uh, I, that would be one of those things where you like bring the numbers into the office on Monday and be like, y'all, we got a problem. Like, this is not how this is supposed to be going down. Yeah. Those tournaments are incredibly difficult. Um, what is it? You have to go seven and one two days in a row without getting a second loss either time. Yes. Which is just unbelievably difficult. Yeah, and I was trying to go 4-0 to, to qualify in the first place. I couldn't even go that much, you know? I mean, we only talked you into firing one bullet for whatever that's worth, but... Yeah, look, I know I know that you think that you have this, this superpower where you can just, like, talk me into doing stuff. I hope that this is a very clear indicator that if I don't want to do something, I'm actually not going to do it. Well, what I'll tell maybe everybody else and maybe... I shouldn't be admitting this to you is I pick and choose my battles and twisting your arm to play Explorer is definitely not a fight I'm going to pick. Uh, well, honestly, it doesn't seem that way because you seem to fight me on everything. <laughs> and also you still tried to like nudge me. So yeah, maybe, maybe you don't go to like actual war over this, but you still like poke me about it. So like that, that still counts. That's binary. Basically, Gotta keep you honest. It's binary, just so you know, and you only get so many chances. All yeah, right. So this is this is me letting you win some, right? So I'm cashing in some chips for later. No, I'm saying it. It's not even about letting me win. I'm saying that you used one of your attempts on this. 
Oh no. See, I, I, I feel like I let you get away with this one so that the next time I can be like, well, I didn't push you really hard on that one. So now you got to do this one. Yeah. It's not at all how this works. You'll figure it out eventually. Don't worry. Uh, I, hey, listen, I think results would suggest I'm doing pretty good. Anyway, uh, the, the way that they could fix this, I think is I, I would guess that they need more players and when the format is Explorer, which is like fake Pioneer and, you know, if they if they had all the Pioneer stuff, if it was just straight up Pioneer, I imagine they would have more people. But in the interim, I don't think that it's really getting the job done. So I don't know, make Explorer less bad. Yeah, I mean, the for- making the format better, I think, can certainly help. Um, I think the structure itself is also interesting, just like eight rounds ish of best of three arena is already like a lot more arena than I typically sit through in one go, especially when the pace of games in these higher stakes events tend to slow down quite a bit. And then having to do that two days in a row is like kind of crazy. Yeah, it's a lot. Absolutely. Um, especially if you consider like, had you like done well in the LCQ on Friday, you're now talking about playing six to eight hours of arena three days in a row. And that's just a lot. Yeah. That's why you, you would never win this battle against me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you mean my reward is I get to do it again tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, at least limited is fun in a lot of instances, you know, this is not it. So. Yeah, I really like the limited too, where they trim it down, where like, you know, even if you make the second day, you, you get the first draft. And if you do well in the first draft, then you get the second one. So it feels like incremental. Um, there's a little bit more wiggle room with how many losses you have to give. So I, I think that's a little bit fairer personally. Uh, yeah, it just depends on how many tough. people they want actually qualifying from these things. I don't think one is the number, you know, but anytime you trim it, uh, if you're doing something like standard or whatever, when when standard was actually popular, I think they would have probably wanted more rounds rather than fewer rounds, right? They just probably had so many people. Yeah. I had a fun discourse in one of my group chats with my friends where we were trying to figure out what it qualifies you for. And there was a fun exchange of, oh, does this qualify you for a pro tour? And the answer was, well, kind of. Well, it, there's there's an arena championship or whatever right but like i don't know exactly what that looks like these days yeah so how it was explained to me is it, it's a, an arena pro tour or an arena championship and then basically like half the people in the arena championship end up qualifying for the following pro tour anyway so it's it's pretty good okay so you have to show up though yeah and i i think the ev just like dollars wise in the arena championships are like way higher than the pro tours to begin with right so if you're in it for the dollars and cents like that might even be more ideal yeah normally i'm all about like yeah you know juice the prize pools or whatever but the mocks and these arena things are specifically one of the avenues where i'm just like you're you're just giving away too much just diminishing returns for the amount that you're spending and especially with them not doing a whole lot of advertising for it or whatever. It's like they can't be getting that much out of it. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So yeah, uh, well, you, you said you were playing some Pioneer this weekend too. How'd that go? I got dragged to an RCQ the last one of the season. It went not so great for me. Um, I played Mono Green. I enjoyed the deck a little bit, but I am very excited to not think or talk about Pioneer for quite some time. So I'm very interested in talking about Modern, focusing on Modern, um, and anything that's not Pioneer. All right, great. Let's do that then. 
Uh, let's start with the smallest event first. Uh, Apex Gaming out in Caldwell, Ohio. Uh, I was kind of doing some research on this because I briefly entertained the idea of going and it was like flying into Columbus and then I think it's maybe like an hour drive or two hour drive or something. And Caldwell is not a very big place. It is just like a very, very tiny town uh, kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's crazy. I think I've played Magic in like six different cities in Ohio, and I've never heard of Caldwell before. Yeah, because uh, I I looked at like Google Maps and what was around it, and there it seems like there is one kind of like strip mallish area, and that might be it, <laughs> and then some residential stuff. So, well, they got 130 people for a 5K. That's pretty impressive. Right. And like bigger stores struggle to get that amount of people. And I don't know if you're watching the stream for this at all, but like they, they just upgraded their space. Their space can now fit like 200 something, I think is what Todd said. And it, it looks really nice. It looks good. And it seems like they're running a tight ship. Jealous. Well, I was I was kind of looking around because I was just like, what's the, what's the cost of living out there? You know, yeah. like... Having having a store like that, they're just like, all right, we're running 5Ks or whatever. Like, that's kind of the dream for me, honestly. Yeah. Nice space, too, is a really big deal breaker, right? So, yeah, yeah definitely envious. Just being in the middle of nowhere is uh, kind of weird and not great or whatever. But, you know, I, I thought about it a little bit. But anyway, uh, 130 players for uh, this modern 5K, one by Azorius Hammer. I believe we talked about Hammer a little bit. I kind of struggle to parse what things we have talked about in private and what we have talked about on the podcast, you know? Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit just after the Pro Tour of if you were to play a deck in the exact Pro Tour metagame that like, I think the most logical conclusion is that Hammer is well positioned to fight that. Um, And if beating Scam and Rhinos and Bork or Tron is what you want to do. Hammer seems pretty good. And the four-color decks got pretty beat up, which is helpful for you. People seem to be skimping on their Hammer hate in general. So I think that's good. Um, so not super surprising to see Hammer do well again. And Urza Saga just being one of the better position cards against Rakdos in general is uh, a pretty good selling point for a deck like this, right? Yeah, I think that like obviously doesn't line up super well against Blood Moon, but the fact that Blood Moon lines up really poorly against the entire rest of this deck, I think puts Saga in a unique place to be good. You can't thought seize that thing. It's a grindy card. Blood Moon in general isn't really where you want to be, so it puts them in a, a weird spot. Yeah, so blue-white, uh, two Spell Pierce, two Surge of Salvation as the interaction, only one copy of Forge New, which with the blue cards, I think makes a little bit more sense. Uh, has the reality chip cutting an Esper Sentinel, which I think would have been heresy a while ago, but there are Bowmaster considerations. So I actually kind of like that. Uh, but yeah, the rest of the deck looks looks pretty stock, pretty normal. Uh, Pithing Needle main deck for Tron, another copy in the sideboard. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I think the 3S Sentinel will start to be stock if it isn't already. And I think that 
you know, when you see Azurius versus Mono White, I think that's a little bit of a concession to Tron specifically. And this deck is certainly respecting Tron with the two spell Pierce and the Pithing Needle. Um, when you're, I, I think the big argument to make some amount of your interaction spell Pierce is specifically for that Tron matchup. Well, second place, we have a five color creativity deck that I haven't even looked at. I, I can honestly tell you that unless I'm scrolling Magic Online decklist, when I see decklist laid out like this, where it's like you can click on whatever decklist you want to look at, I just never look at the creativity decks. Well, come on, man. <laughs> They've just all been the same for so long. Well, I, I, I got, I I got a spoiler for you. This one's the same. Uh, two expressive iteration. That's kind of yep. a thing. Only three to fairies. 25 yep. land. Love 25 it. land. It, he has a besage. They have a besage you. Right. So I think that's um, definitely a step up. And but I think in general, this is kind of where we creativity was pre Lord of the Rings. Um, and nothing too crazy going on here. But seeing this do well is exciting for me. More besages in the sideboard. So that is officially the Tron plan. How do you feel about that? I don't think it's enough personally, and I have a hard time imagining that this list has enough going on to really fight against Tron. Um, I've messed around a little bit with creativity on the side, and I, I've become a pretty big fan of the two Terastodon plan that was made popular at the Pro Tour. And I, I really think if you're going to take Tron seriously, which is a very poor matchup on the surface... I think you need some combination of speed bumps, whether that's Besaidu or Alpine Moon, in addition to the Terrasodon. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. What if you're like, well, Tron is a thing and I want to add some cards to it, but I'm not taking it seriously. Then this is kind of the approach that you would go to. I think so, yeah. Like this is the lowest cost approach, right? And um, Besaidu has upside for fighting like the Leyline Binding mirrors and stuff like that too, so... Yeah, like ab absolutely like the first and the second copy for sure. It's like where where does the third Besaju really come into play outside of Tron is something I think would be interesting, right? I don't think you really want the third copy against four color. The third copy against Tamar is probably acceptable, but not exactly where I'd want to be. No, it's I mean, it's non-spell pierceable disenchant, but yeah. certainly comes it, with a downside too. Yeah, it's definitely good enough, right? Um, and you're definitely bringing them in. Yeah. So overall, how do you feel about this list? Um, I think the main deck's pretty stock. I think there's a couple of different things in the sideboard, but I think it it, it hasn't quite evolved. I think the, the Celestial Purge is the card that I'm a little bit disappointed to not see, and that's a, a card that I'm super high on in this list and one that I'm on the lookout for to see more. And I think that um, that's kind of the missing piece if there ever is something to put creativity back onto the map to help fight some of these scam decks and get an edge there. Yeah, I like Purge a lot. Uh, been brewing up some different versions of Omnath and whatnot, and Purge has been a card that I've actually liked having access to in the sideboard. So, yeah, I like I don't, I don't think it's just a creativity thing either. Yeah, I think Celestial Purge is just a very well positioned card in the format right now, and having like things that can answer Ragavan as well as a Scammed Fury as well as kill a Blood Moon. There's just a lot of versatility there. Yep. Uh, so third place, we have an Omnath deck. Uh, 23 land is a little on the light side. Four copies of the One Ring, four Solitude, two Fury, 
one Nissa, one Elishnorn. So this is pretty similar to the the first iterations of the Magic Online list that we were seeing. And then four Obsidian Charma on the sideboard. So, you know, that that's a lot, right? Like that is definitely a choice. And two Besagers too. So yeah, there's there's a lot of Tron hate here, which I appreciate. Yeah, I love seeing no Tron decks in the top eight is a spoiler and um, another list taking Tron very seriously, which I think makes sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see where the climax is for when people stop doing that and we see a little bit of a resurgence, but knock on wood, hoping that's no time soon. <laughs> um, and yeah, list overall looks pretty straightforward. What do you make of the Emrakul the Promise end in the sideboard? I mean, I think that it's you're respecting the mirror and i assume that that's like the primary place you're looking for that and i assume that if one of you has that and the other doesn't in a mirror match that it's a pretty big edge um i've casted that card quite a bit in my life in other formats and it's always overperformed and at watching i haven't played with this deck very much myself but watching coverage like it seems like the some of the grindier matchups just never end so I'll say in my own self-interest of watching these, a card that like tends to end the game is very exciting to see. Yeah, historically, I, I would see it as a mirror card, but generally without any sort of like traverse to find it or even Eladomri's call, it is kind of just strange to see the one copy. But yeah, the games do go long enough and you have one ring to maybe draw you a bunch of cards or whatever. So it's nice to be able to find something that can maybe actually just lock the game up and end it so yeah I, I don't i don't know if this is like necessary or good or or you know however you want to describe it i'm just very unsure but i've seen it in i don't know maybe like 10 percent of the sideboards it it seems to be trending up um i saw it in a and we'll see how many maybe this is something we keep track of as we go through these lists but um if four color becomes more of a thing which it seems to be trending up a little bit i would expect to see more of this and it's at least a plan yeah. Uh, fourth place, we got some Rhinos, some LSV technology post-PT with a Flame of Anor main deck alongside a Mutavolt. Yeah, and Rhinos is something I've been dipping my toes into a little bit. Flame of Anor definitely has impressed. Doing it with Mutavolt is cute, but the Mutavolt's also like been kind of good for me. This list passed that. Three Mystical Dispute, one Dismember, three Subtlety, one Questing Beast looks pretty straightforward. Well, what was your experience like playing Rhinos? Like, is that a, a deck that you would recommend, not recommend, or just like metagame specific kind of thing? I more just try it because I haven't before. And I'm trying, you know, we have Columbus coming up in a few weeks and I'm just kind of exploring different things. And I, I played a few leagues. I, I, I didn't have the best of times. I, I won a good amount, but I, I just didn't find it very interesting or enjoyable. Um it just my wins weren't super satisfying. There weren't a lot of catch up mechanisms. It's objectively very powerful, but probably isn't something you're going to see me playing a lot of. But definitely would recommend. Okay. And this uh, sideboard, couple Charmaws, Besaju, uh, one Besaju in the board to go with the one in the main deck. So a little bit of, you know, Tron business going on here, but not a ton. Yeah, uh, and I'll say this is the second list through four where we've seen a Brotherhood's End in the sideboard, which is a little bit kind of out of left field. Yeah, I'm not sure if that is specifically a hammer thing or something else. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, this this list also has the two force of vigor, which is a card people have been cheating on a little bit. So seeing those back as well as Hammer winning the event is, I, I assume, related and correlated to the same direction. Yep. Moving on to the top eight decks, uh, we have a copy of Eight Rack. I'm, I'm not sure how much I can really comment on this because I am not an eight rack aficionado. I do think the addition of Urza Saga is very smart and makes a lot of sense. It's just, I don't know, Tom Ross has been quiet lately, so we haven't really seen this a whole lot. I don't know if this is what the deck should actually look like or not, so I don't know. I have no idea. Not a lot of four ofs, so it's really hard to comment. It, it's it's a little weird that the deck's called eight rack, but there's not actually eight racks. No, there um, is. The sagas. Oh, whoa. Four four saga, three rack, one shrieking affliction. <laughs> All right. That's so, eight, baby. <laughs> we're really twisting our arm here to get to eight. Um, but I, listen, man, you don't have to talk me into Raven's Crime. That's a card that I've casted quite a bit of in my life, oh, won no. a, quite a bit of games of. I, I love me a Raven's Crime. I firmly believe this is one of the things we talked about in private was Raven's Crime. And I, I've tried to do Raven's Crime stuff in the past, and it has never worked out. Absolutely never. It's just always been terrible. Well, And I'm actually shocked that you kind of have like the opposite opinion. You're like, yeah, I've, I've crimed before and it's worked out. I'm just like, I, I don't know how. I'm confused. Well, my Raven's Crime is always paired with Life from the Loam and Gifts Ungiven. And I'm frequently targeting myself with it to put discard outlets in my graveyard, maybe flashback and on barrel rights or something. Okay. It's um, a different experience. I mean, I've, I've done it with Loam. I have done it with Gifts Ungiven. I did not do it with... Uh, on burial right stuff, I guess that kind of makes sense. I don't know. Just uh, never Different again. Times. Never again. This is one of those cards. I think that for the the benefit of my overall, you know, Elo rating or whatever, I'm just <laughs> I should just not do it. We're probably over that horizon. It's probably not a card you're going to see a lot more of in the future. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, another top eight deck. We have Gugari Yogmoth. Uh, ooh, I was so happy because I saw the the halflings and was like, oh, maybe maybe people are doing it. Maybe they're adopting to Orcish Bowmasters, but no, there's three ignoble hierarchs too. So, yep, still not respecting the Bowmasters as much as I would hope, but looks to be relatively stock. No one rings. Two in the board. Two in the board. I'm not super high on Yawgmoth right now, personally, and I think that it's a little surprising to see it do well here. Fair. Uh, this is one of the things that I had on my list of you know things to to try and perfect, and I just I never got around to it. I was never super motivated to try it. It was just a thing that I know that I should try at some point, but uh, you know we'll just keep kicking it on down the road, I guess. And then. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really sure what, what the format would have to look like or what the best deck would have to be for me to want to explore Yawgmoth more. But that's what, that's why you got to play and figure out, yeah, like what what it's good against and how you feel, and then you can make those reads a lot better versus just like, well, I don't know if this is good for Yawgmoth or not because we never did the work, you know? Yeah, maybe, or maybe I'm just not going to put Young Wolf in my constructed deck. <laughs> I think Young Wolf is a stronger card than Raven's Crime for whatever that's worth. That's fair. That's fair. 
At least it's, got a, thing, it's got a higher floor. Yeah, that thing attacks, you know? Can block sometimes too, who knows? Uh, so this this top eight is uh, kind of eight different decks, but that's only because the last two decks are labeled, one of them is labeled Evoke, one is labeled Scam. So we're going to talk about this now or? Uh, I, that's all I was going to say, but <laughs> if if you want to talk about deck name conventions, by all means. you. No, I just think it's preposterous to call this Evoke. Like everybody calls it Scam, just embrace it. It's not, I, don't, I don't find it offensive personally, and I, I don't know, I, I can't imagine. Just it's Scam. Okay, well, here's the thing is that what something is called should not be determined by the people who do not find it offensive, right? That's fair. So the fact that you recognize like, oh, this isn't offensive to me should maybe lead you to wonder if like, is it offensive to someone or whatever? But I I, I don't think that that necessarily plays in this case, just in general. I I just don't think that that is a, a good reason. It's like, well, it's not offensive to me. So like, we should all call it this. Yeah. No, you that's know? a totally reasonable perspective, right? And I guess if, if there is any take about why people would find it offensive, I haven't seen or heard that. And I would be interested if people did. But um, yeah, mo- mostly I've seen just general mockery of Evoke. Yeah, I mean, we... Cedric was behind this, and I, I don't think it was a bad thing necessarily where he streamlined deck naming conventions for SCG and really hit that hard. And I think that overall, that was pretty good for the game. Like when you are a new player trying to figure out like what what is the deck about? What is it trying to do or whatever? The deck name is the first thing that you look at, right? And I certainly see this and feel this in other games where I look at stuff and I'm just like, well, the deck name is nonsensical. So that doesn't give me anything. And then it's like, you're looking at a deck list and reading the cards and like trying to figure out what is actually important or what this deck is trying to do or whatever. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think to some degree, Scam does convey some amount of that, certainly more than like Evoke does. Like, all right, I, I evoke these creatures or I'm playing a bunch of evoke creatures, but like, why is that good? You know, it's like, that doesn't really tell you. Yeah. And I think that the, the scam part of the deck is quite a bit bigger than just the evoke theme, right? Obviously there's the turn one scam, but I find quite a bit of the things happening in this deck to be a scam. Yeah. So uh, I think that name resonates with me quite a bit. I, I think it's a, a really good name. And it's, it's one of those things where it wasn't like, oh, I set out to build a scam deck, you know, just a deck that would only scam people with like Blood Moon or Ragavan or, you know, Thoughtseize or Ulamog, Dothy Voidwalker type of stuff, you know, but like all, all the things in the deck are doing some amount of that, right? So yeah. it just, it makes sense to me. I, I think it is fine. Uh certainly the fact that like it's, it's like Racto scam or whatever. I think that that helps a little bit. But, you know, it, it could be worse. We've had certainly far worse deck names. Anyway, uh, Mason, I'm just looking at his deck for the first time, uh, played Four Season Biromancer. Weird. I'm still a Fable believer, but I'm not going to rule that figured out yet. Uh, it also lists his sideboard as having an abrupt decay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double check that. Yeah, that can't be right. That doesn't seem right to me. But uh well that would require me going to like melee and poking around. I'm not I'm not gonna do that. He also has 
only 19 real lands plus a flip card, which seems a little bit preposterous to me. I mean, most just play 20, right? 20. Yeah. And I've always, I, I'm always, I'm bullish on the 21st and I'm looking for things to trend in that direction personally. Um, I've always felt like these decks cheated on lands maybe a little bit more than they should personally. Um, but I, I agree with that 100%. Um, I, I don't think that, I think the Agony's Awakening is the exact same as a land. Sure. So we'll call it 20. Yeah. At the, the point where I start counting it as like, you know, three copies is like 2.5 or whatever is when you are playing multiples because then it's like really costing you to play it on taps. But like the one of copy, I, I think that's just going to be a bad swamp a lot of the time. Yeah, it's a bad swamp that you can maybe pitch to your grief. And- yeah, exactly. So uh, both both lists have 20 and I agree with you. I mean, I I would rather have an extra land in here somewhere and if the concession is, well, I play an Agadim's Awakening to still have the requisite amount of colored sources that I need to pitch, then I, th- I think that that's fine. I think that's a good way to go about things. Yeah. But I don't know. I know that... I don't know. Like People are like cutting down on Blood Moons and there's like a Croxa floating around in the main deck and, and stuff like that. They're, like there is the core that exists for this deck. And then there is a very finite amount of actual flex slots where you could get in a 21st land. And I think that there are people that would just argue with you to the death about whether or not it's worth it or not, you know? So I I think it's going to be maybe kind of hard to get a 21st land in there, but I don't think I would play this deck without 21. I would find a way and just get yelled at and be fine. Yeah, probably. Is this is this still kind of like evoke slash scam? Is this the direction you're leaning in still? I am flirting with some other things, but scam is a fine default. We'll get more to that. Okay. Uh, Mason sideboard, couple Charmaws, a Magus of the Moon, two Blood Moons main deck. So a lot of Tron hate. Oh, and a Blood Moon in the sideboard too. So he's got a lot of stuff. I like it. Yeah, three Chalice, two Explosives. Not a good time to be playing Rhinos. Definitely respecting that matchup quite a bit. Yeah, overall, what? though, this his sideboard is pretty similar to Jake's sideboard from the Pro Tour, where it was like five artifacts to hate on Rhinos, uh, Shieldred, some Graveyard hate, and there's just like not, not a lot of space left for a whole lot of anything else. So I'm... It's my my Raleigh thing. Is that this weekend? I think it's this weekend. I I think it is. Not a lot of wiggle room in these lists for fun. But, oh man, it is this weekend. God, I have to leave in like two days. What the hell? Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm staying with Mason, so I'll probably pick his brain about this list a little bit. I'm curious. On to the real scam list. Then the the other list, uh, 20 actual lands, one Blood Moon, one Croxa, four Fable, uh, one Lightning Bolt, one Fatal Push, whereas Mason had two pushes so that wraps things up for the apex gaming side of things moving on to nrg uh yeah this is this is where i complain a little bit where i baby whine um things get hosted on melee and then they post the deck list which is cool and they post like the swiss records which is cool 
But then anything other than the Swiss is really hard to find information about. Uh, this would have been alleviated to some degree if NRG, I think, was doing actual coverage because generally they're like tweeting when new matchups go up. So it's like you can see who beat who or whatever. But I guess since that was not happening, then they only posted the winner, which was Amulet. But aside from the winner being Amulet, I don't know what happened in any of these other matches or how these players ended up finishing. It's impossible to know. Yeah. And then <laughs> because uh, like Goldfish is like, you know, importing the, the standings directly from Melee or whatever. It just shows like their Swiss record and stuff too. So like that doesn't help at all. So I am a little bit disappointed by stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. It's fine. So we'll look at this amulet list. Uh, it, it looks like an amulet list. Let's see. Uh, one Cultivator Colossus, two Azusa. 33 lands, three Besejus, two gardens. This looks like Dom's pretty much, except is it 60 or 61 cards? Oh, that's a good question. 61. It's Dom's list. It's got to be. Okay. Don't fact check my mental math, but my yeah. quick math says 61 cards. Yeah, confirmed. 61. If nothing, else, if nothing else, it is very, very close. So... I don't know. I think if you are going to wholesale believe in someone, especially in regards to Amulet, uh, you know, you could do worse than Dom. Absolutely. And then you just go and, and win an energy tournament. So easy game. Yeah. And I see Dom down here in 21st place as well. So showed up and Dom at the event, reasonably good showing six, two and one and Amulet winning. All in all, pretty good. Oh, so we can see Dom's new deck list now. No Cultivator Colossus, one Pactum Negation instead. Uh, three Besejus. Still 61 cards. Sure, why not? Listen, man, if you're confident and it worked the first time, why not? Uh, Gemstone Caverns chilling on the sideboard. Emrakul, the promised end. Okay, yeah. Sure. All right, you want to just go top down? I mean, it's the only logical way we have to go from here, I guess. All right. Uh, well, in first place after the Swiss, the Amulet player was second place. We have a four-color Omnath deck. Uh, wow. Three three Solitude, two Fury, one Elish Horn. What the hell? This is so weird because I, I haven't seen this in like so long since like the beginning days of Moto or whatever. And now we're like back to this somehow, like multiple players came to this conclusion. Although this is a four preordain for preordain. It's our first preordain sighting. So hold on. Cause young bingo was another person who went to the NRG thing and he was playing four color preordain. So I'm going to go on his Twitter and see if he posted his list. At Young Bingo MTG streams all the time. Good modern stream. Also tweets a lot, apparently. There's, there's a lot of stuff to get through. Preordain, Four Solitude. Oh, he's also playing Karn. Okay, so not the same list, but the same sort of idea, I guess. Like, let's just jam some one band cards in here. 
All the spice, carns and preordains. Seems hard to fit it all. Well, 22 lands. I said that 23 was on the low side. I definitely think that 22 is on the low side, but I understand the temptation of just like cutting lands for cantrips, but not a huge fan, especially when you're still playing two triumphs. Um, yeah, I'll give you a land with four preordains. Yeah, but we're already starting from a premise that 23 is maybe not enough. So Fair. The amount of times I watched four color tick up their Ren and six five times and have nine cards in their hand and only two spells was way too high this weekend. Dude, that that was that's been my problem with four color. And <laughs> my my life has been like trying to fix that problem. Yeah. I and found it hilarious how many times like even an ultimated Ren and six wouldn't have done anything because there was no spells that did anything. Yeah. Well, now you can flash back your preordains. That's exactly where I was going with this. So yeah, I guess th- I guess there's that, but uh Ren Six Alts with prismatic ending, not super exciting. Uh now you have like some lightning bolts in the mix in a lot of instances. So that certainly helps. But yeah, the Ren Ultimate, not super threatening in this deck generally. Yeah. Yeah, I think Lightning Bolt's probably the best you're gonna do. And listen, Lightning Bolt Ren and Six Alt is a pretty good place to be. Um and preordain as well, but like then you kind of just get more soup. Right. And you are definitely capped on the amount of mana that you have to work with also. So, yeah, these decks, my big takeaway from watching four color all weekend was like the draws with halfling and or one ring were noticeably different than the draws without. Yeah, I mean, those are the things that put this deck back on the map, right? So how, how can we shift things more in that direction and maybe away from the slow, like ponderous pile that existed beforehand, you know? And I don't know. I, I think Nissa did a decent job of that. I think Fable is a little bit better at doing that. And Fable kind of helps solve the, uh, you know, you have Ren and Six, you've controlled the game, but your card advantage has just been like plus one land a bunch of times. So, like, how do you actually filter through this stuff? Like, Fable helps you do that a lot. Yeah, and I think when we get to the first Karn list, that might trigger some interesting conversations. Okay, cool. So, other point of contention here is that I really, really, really don't think that you need two Triumphs, especially when you're doing the Delighted Halfling stuff. If you're doing, like, the weirdo, more controlly counterspell versions, like, okay, you can play more Triumphs if you want to. I don't really care. But especially in Preordain world, when, you know, the Triumphs are putting you down a mana, Preordain is putting you down a mana, there are only so many times you can actually afford to do something like that, especially in a deck like this. So you don't need the second Triumph. Trust me, you just, you honestly, you do not need it. Just cut it, please. It, it's there to cycle, Jerry. Play a Tranquil Thicket instead. <laughs> honestly, sure. if, if you want to cut Rogren Triumph for a Tranquil Thicket, I will thumbs up that so fast. <laughs> I could buy that even after what we saw with Ren and Six not doing anything for these decks. Listen, I've <laughs> I've played Ren decks where you kind of like run into that issue from time to time. And it's like, oh, maybe if I get like a Baron more in my Jund mana base or like play a nurturing Peatland or it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't help. It doesn't fix. Instead, you just remember the games where the Baron more messes you up. And that's it. So 
Uh, if you want to play it in kind of like a spell slot, like actually, if you want to cut like a preordain for a tranquil thicket, I'd be fine with that. I think that I makes way more sense. That. You could talk me into that. But then you start looking at it like, why the hell are we playing preordain at all? Which is also fair. Not playing subtlety, not playing force and negation. Do we need, you know, these random blue cards in here? And I, I don't think so. Well, I, I think if you're going to be a four Ren deck, you, you really need to make sure you're capitalizing on that, right? So if you are going to twist either of those cards, like Ren and Six is definitely a big part of the argument for that. They, they weren't doing that before, though. Well, Ren, maybe they should have been. I mean, maybe, but they were as successful as they were without ways to really utilize the Ren Ultimate. And the decks have kind of not fixed, but like helped it out a little bit by splitting ending and lightning bolt. And so it was better than they even used to be. So I don't know. Yeah. I think in general, like there's definitely something there with these four color decks. And I think the, what the best variation of them is still yet to be figured out. And I think that's definitely one of the more interesting things to keep an eye on in the format. Yeah. Cause all of these decks look at least a little bit different, you know? Yeah, and, like there's definitely this core of like, right, the One Ring, Leyline Binding, Renin Six, Teferi, Omnath, Halfling, like, right, and some amount of pitch spells. And then, like, what do we do with our last? It might, it's not actually very many slots, right? Like 10 slots max, but uh, there's quite a few different directions people are going in with them. Yeah. I mean, 10 slots is a decent amount. It's more than like the scam flex slots, right? So sure. you actually have a decent amount to work with, and you have basically all five colors of mana if you want them. So you can, you should be able to figure something out. Yeah, and there's clearly not consensus on even like what types of cards we even want. Of do we want more threats? Do we want more answers? Which mana costs do we even want them in? Right, we're not sitting here talking about which three mana proactive play do we want. There's um, quite a bit of debate still about how to fill out the rest of the deck. Yeah, I I just got curious and I looked at the next highest finishing Omnath deck in this tournament, which was ninth place, and they have four fables and three spell pierces. Yeah, just wildly different. Yeah. Uh, well, you could say Spell Pierce, Preordain, one mana blue card, but like, let's be real. Those are just very different things. They are very different. I do think that lowering the mana curve does facilitate having, uh, you know, a slightly lower land count, but this deck also has 22 land, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's supposed to be that few lands, you know? Yeah. Do you think that there's a home for the land cyclers in these decks? If you're playing any of the blue pitch cards, absolutely. And honestly, that's like the, the Omnath sort of version that I have been working on is one with Lorien Revealed and some blue pitch cards. Yeah, I'd be interested in like the first or second Lorien Revealed seems really interesting to me. Just like kind of gives you something random to do with your Ren and Six ult. Obviously, it's way more mana than you want to be spending on something like that. And maybe you still have the time to do things like that, but having more proactive things to do with a Renault is definitely a place I'd want to be. Well, you could look at it like you have Renault and then maybe if you have an Omnath sticking around, it's like, okay, I have these things going on, but I don't have a way to like actually move the game forward and lock it up. Well, then Lorien Revealed starts looking pretty good when you're kind of getting it for free off the second Omnath trigger. But yeah, uh, there are also situations at that point in the game where maybe you run out of lands to fetch too. So there's that. Yeah, not impossible. I mean, this list in ninth place, literally the only spells in the entire six, the main deck are three spells. Pierce. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> I so. mean, look, if, if you got a hand with five lands, your peers can probably counter something. <laughs> this is a good chance. <laughs> you know? And that's it. I think you get one shot and maybe countering a spell with that spell Pierce, but that's it. Uh, anyway, uh, third place after the Swiss, we have a deck labeled Gorio's Blink. So, Atraxa, four Atraxa, two Gristlebrand, four Fable, four Grief, four Bowmaster, two Solitude, uh, Tainted Indulgence, and Shadow Prophecy, and I guess the Fables, setting up the Gorio's Vengeances, Leyline Binding, and Ephemerate. Uh, you know, as the, the Gorio's follow-up, effectively. Sign me up. Yeah, good old good old spike deck. A little bit, little bit fancier, you know. Got some fables in there, some line bindings, whatever. I like the look of these decks a lot. I just don't think that they're particularly good. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. And they're probably more fancy than they are good. And like, it, I kind of look at this and I like it, it. It's a bad scam deck. Is my first reaction. Um, you have a little bit higher ceiling and power level with the Gorio's Vengeance and the likes, but um, and obviously Ephemerate's quite a bit more powerful than some of the Blink cards and Scam, but you lose quite a bit of consistency with that. Um, but listen, any deck playing Shadow Prophecy is a fan of mine. So you would hope that a deck like this is going to be favored against Omnath, right? I would hope so, and if it wasn't, I would be concerned. Yeah, so I, I think when you register something like this for a tournament is like you want to do the scam sort of stuff. Maybe even there's some consideration for there are a lot of bowmasters out there and I don't really want to be playing Regavan right now. So this is the way to scam, but also beat up on Omnath. Or maybe you're just playing this because it, it has a good Omnath matchup or whatever. Yeah, and just a little bit bigger, going a little bit more over the top. Yeah, and I, th- I think that all of that stuff is defensible. And... This list, uh, two Break the Ice in the Sideboard, one Alpine Moon, uh, yet another tournament where there are no copies of Tron in top eight. And uh, I guess the highest finishing one is in 13th at seven and two. That's not bad. Um, but yeah, this this tournament specifically, it seems like there is a lot of Tron hate represented in these sideboards. Seems to be a pattern. All right, fourth, uh, Rakdos, mid-range, not even Evoke. Wow. Just just straight up mid-range. Uh four fable, one season pyromancer, uh, two terminate, four lightning bolts, twenty land. Where did where did the extra slots for the bolts come from? There's only three thought seas. Three thought seas. That seems criminal. Okay, so yeah, no blood moon, no croxa, none of that. So just filling it out with some bolts. Three thought seas is bold. Look, Noah Walker said the same thing to me about my shadow deck, but when you have grief on top of Thoughtsees, it is kind of a, a lot of diminishing returns. Like, I understand. I don't think that this is the deck to be shaving on that. I do think you want all eight of them, but I I understand the mentality behind it. Yeah, I think Legacy is quite a bit different, right? When you're jamming all those cantrips in there with them. Right, and I mean, I also had stuff like Force of Will and Days and like Force of Negation on the sideboards. Like, I wasn't, hurting on on interaction you know yeah but so, it, yeah it was just funny that like his deck had four thoughts he's no grief and it's like i have more discard and he's chastising me for cutting a thought sees. it's like uh all right <laughs> yeah T- tell me a little bit about fable season pyromancer it seems like everybody's on team a or team b 
if these two cards are like as close as everybody appears to think they are, right? And it's 49, 51, one and the other. W- would you expect to see more of like a more even split between the two of them? I would, but that's not how people do things. So like compare the cards straight up, right? Um, One of them costs RR in your deck where you have three swamps. And that is a problem to the point where people used to play a Graven Cairn sometimes in this sort of deck. And I think that overall, Fable is better on turn three because the 2-2 is potentially more threatening. And for Pyromancer, you're not going to be hellbent. You're not going to be coming up on cards. You have the ability to put like four power in play if you want to, which is cool, you know? But I think for the most part, Fable is you can say it's better on turn three and then maybe Pyromancer is better late, but I don't even think that that's necessarily true just because of how good Reflection is. Like, if you're in kind of a stable board state and you play Fable, you know that in three turns, you're probably just going to take over the game if if nothing changes. So I think that Fable is just straight up better, and if you want more of that effect, you can turn to Pyromancer, and I think that that's fine. It's kind of where I'm at, and Season Pyromancer has always kind of puzzled me and baffled me, and... um I'm with you on like, I think the modern format has at least historically been the last few months been trending faster and faster. And the fact that Fable is so much better as a turn three play specifically, I think is a really big deal. Um, Not to mention the fact that it's easier to cast, but I am surprised to not see anybody splitting the difference and everybody going all in one direction or all in the other. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think that most people look at it like, oh, Fable's better on turn three, Pyromancer's better late, which again, I dispute, but... If that was the case, I think you would see more of like three Fable, two Pyromancer sort of things going on. But I don't know. There's there's also the whole thing where it's like Fable is like better against Bowmaster than Pyromancer is in a lot of ways. You know, it's like Bowmaster is still fine against Fable or whatever. But if you play Pyromancer when they have Bowmaster open, I think it is just so disastrous for you because it's 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 a forced like discard draw card thing. So yeah, pretty disastrous. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't like that aspect. I would just be, I would be playing four fables absolutely to start. And then if I wanted more of that effect, okay, we can, we can talk about that then. Yep. I would agree. Uh, sideboard here, four lane line of the void, three blood moon, two Turok. Uh, I, I like Turok quite a bit against uh, Omnath, which seemed to have had a good weekend. And it's kind of weird when now they're all playing like, you know, more bolts and furies than they used to. But regardless, I still think that Turok is quite good. Uh, Ratchet Bomb, Filigree, Silex, Split. Oh, and two explosives. I was going to say it's interesting to play those instead of explosives. But no, there's just a a lot of them. Yeah, and only one chalice, right? So still the same five artifact hate against the Cascade decks, but leaning more in the Rhino's hate versus Living End here. But with four Leyline of the Void, I, I can see that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. I actually, I like this quite a bit. Like, normally, if I'm prepping for a big tournament where I'm kind of unsure where people are going to end up, I would want to be able to hedge and like two Chalice, three Explosives is probably where you would see me. But especially when you have the four Leylines and if you have a better read on the field or whatever, I could just see being like, screw it, let's play like five explosives, you know, because like Rhinos is 
not that great of a matchup, right? So let's just play the thing that's like better against them. And if you ever draw like a chalice and an explosives, it's pretty bad, right? So I yeah, think, and I think I think that I this think makes the, a lot of sense. The explosives and the ratchet bombs are like really, really good against hammer as well, which is a deck that's been trending up. Um, so I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, this this might be the best looking scam deck I've seen outside of like I don't know. They have the Mount Doom, which I'm not a big fan of. They have a basic mountain, which is good against burn, and I think is is completely reasonable. You know, it's not not a thing that you shouldn't be doing. I think that if you're worried about burn, I think that's fine. Uh, I don't necessarily like three thoughtsies, but yeah, maybe maybe this is like a lot of burn concessions, right? Like basic mountain, three thoughtsies, four lightning bolt. That seems yeah, like have- a lot of respect. A prismatic vista, which seems a little bit awkward and out of place, but um, I'm with you on the rest. Well, it's it's better than a verdant if you are saying like I need to get a like I need a fetch that gets me mountain against burn, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, hedging against burn and then also having the Mount Doom seems kind of a weird place to be. It's weird uh, for sure. Yeah, but then and then also like all three of the blood moons in the sideboard seems like a interesting spot. Like if you. You know, Tron specific hates where you're at, like all the blood moons in the sideboard and none of the land destruction spells is probably not where I'd want to be. Um, but yeah, I agree with that, too. But if if you feel like you only have slots for, you know, four Tron cards, yeah. trying to to ride the moons is probably better than doing like two blood moon to Charma or break the ice or whatever you're trying to do. Yeah. Probably the first list I think we've really looked at that stood out to me that maybe is cheating a little bit on the Tron hate. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I especially don't like not having stuff in game one because if you do lose game one and that's all you have is like four moons against their besages. So uh, this player has three blood moon, one Megas blood moon, right? But it's like the Tron decks presumably have a bunch of besages and dismembers and stuff, so... I, I just don't think it's that solid of a plan. I don't necessarily know that it's going to carry you to a match win if if you're going to lose game one. Yeah, I would tell you every Tron player in the tournament is going to be going to tell you that they're prepared to beat that. And if yeah. they're not, then they probably shouldn't be registering Tron. Right. But everything else about this list, it seems very thoughtful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think if Leyline of the Void is a, a card that you think is well positioned, a place you want to be, all the rest of this makes sense built around that. Well, how do you like Leyline as a mirror plan, potentially? Well, so I think that's the million-dollar question, and I'm kind of disappointed that you asked that because I have no idea. <laughs> and I, I I saw it quite a bit over the weekend in some of these scam matchups, uh, ruin people's days. And I actually have no idea if it's a card or a place you want to be in these matchups. Um, my instinct initially was probably not, but it was kind of impressive in a lot of the matches I watched and given how aggressively you mulligan, I I could buy it if you told me it was a place you wanted to be. I think it's very hit or miss, but it's mostly hit. And the fact that it's, you know, pregame zero mana, like that's, that's a lot of good stuff. And there's the, the random risk of like, Oh, you know, like I mulligan and there's like, you know, two ley lines, but like, I don't want to put one of them back because, you know, I have four land or something. So I, I would rather put a land back, you know, it's like, well, you just keep the second one and like pitch a degree for something. Like it's not that bad. Yeah. And embrace the scam. 
Yeah, exactly. You gotta you gotta rescam your scam opponents. You know. Yeah, I like it. I, in general, I'm 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 pretty high on it. So. Cool. Uh, fifth after the Swiss, we have a devoted Druid deck, which is really weird. And I can't tell if this deck is like Galaxy Brain or really bad because uh, this my my brain just doesn't work with decks like these. So this is a Court of Calling Collected Company deck that is trying to set up the Samwise Gamgee, uh, like Cauldron Familiar Sack Outlet combo. Also has a couple Yawgmoths in it. Uh, Ranger Captain of Eos is like more, you know, things to help find your combo, a bunch of grists and stuff. Like, I, I don't know if this is good or not. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. It just seems like they have all of the things and I'm with you on the deck list just makes my brain hurt. Yeah, I, my, my brain, it just, it don't work like this. So I have no idea. Uh, the, the old delighted halfling uh wooded bastion thing came up at the pt i think when <laughs> someone was like how are they casting that uh ranger captain of eos or whatever and it's just like well yeah that's what the wooded bastion is for is because delighted halfling only casts like some of the cards in the deck yeah and two birds of paradise two delighted halfling like i don't know either mad genius or just like total randomness i i think that kind of makes sense because there are so many situations where halfling is bad and you need birds to actually like cast your spells, but like you don't want to play all birds because of Bowmaster. So you're like, oh, I guess I'll play like some halflings. And then you have to turn to Wooded Bastion in order to like facilitate all of this. So I I think it makes sense. I'll believe you. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. All right. Uh sixth place, Rhinos, two flame of Anor, two Mutavolt. All right. Is this straight up? Luis's list. I didn't. I didn't actually look at his. It deck, looks so. pretty close. I think Luis only had two subtlety, and this one has three. But past that, looks identical. And I'm uh, what the last card that they swapped in for is escaping me. Maybe the twenty second land. All right, I'll take your. Word uh, for no, it. it's it, it's not. It's a brazen bar. They cut the brazen bar, or oh no, they have the brazen bar. So yeah, there's one one card off ish, but yeah, the. Two Mutavolts, two Flame, relatively stock. Seems pretty straightforward. Good deck, good list. All right, seventh, uh, Chris Smith with Yawgmoth, who I believe has won one of these energy things with Yogg before. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to trust them, you know? They, they're it, like, I'm going to run it back. And I uh, did pretty well. It didn't win, but I don't know what happened other than that. Listen, like pro tour aside, right? Like people that play Yogmoth play Yogmoth. That's just like how they are. So, and I, they're usually people I don't want to get paired against. Yo, check this out. Okay. So, both this list and the one the top eight at Apex have Blood Artist instead of Zulaport, even though Zulaport is the one that can actually kill through one ring protection. Yeah. Noteworthy. I mean, I Blood Artist is just better card outside of that situ exact situation. Right? It is. Yeah, the difference is Blood Artist triggers off both creatures. Zulaport only triggers off your own thing dying. And that that definitely does matter. But I think that I would be more concerned with One Ring. But maybe it's 
just a matter of like, look, I can just say go and it's not that big of a deal, but potentially letting them like untap and then maybe even getting like another ring activation or whatever. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with the four color matchup against Yawgmoth, but if that was a matchup that you thought was already pretty good or that you felt comfortable with, then leaning more into the Blood Artist would make sense to me. From the four color side, it, it is definitely very tough, but there were iterations of four color that I played that were very good into Yawgmoth, specifically ones that did have like a you know decent amount of Furies or like Supreme Verdicts and stuff like that. But I, I think for the most part, Yogg is favored. And that would make sense given their card choices is that I would assume these people were confident in that. So, yeah. And if that's the case, if you're just like, I, I don't care, I'm going to beat you anyway, then awesome. Cool. Yeah. And like, listen, like Tron, you can just like kill them in their upkeep and that's not going to matter a ton, right? Yeah. I mean, again, it's like you, you pass, you let them untap and maybe they had a dismember or now it's like you try and kill them in the upkeep and like let them activate ring. Or do you let them go to their draw step? Like, either way, they're getting an untap and a card out of it. And sure. how much does that matter? Like, getting them closer to maybe a dismember that could break up your combo. And, like, does it even matter, really, in the grand scheme of things? Uh, thing I just noticed, uh, four Delighted Halflings in this deck, and then no Hierarchs, but also just, like, no other mana creature, which I I think the, the Grazer versions are probably pretty decent, but I certainly support this route of playing only basically your own bowmasters that can get bowmastered. I like this. Yep. And just the one ring, the one, one ring in the sideboard as well. Yeah, I mean, the sideboard is 15 one of, so... <laughs> Fancy. I guess you are uh, contractually obligated to play the one ring at that point. Yeah, there, there's quite a few cards in the sideboard I had to read for whatever that's worth. Uh, did you have to read Void Mirror and Elven Chorus? Yes. <laughs> okay, I actually know what those do, but uh, Void Void Mirror. Let me see. Elven Chorus, man, come on! How did you know what that card did? Only because it is shown up in Yogg sideboards. Oh, that's a space that is foreign to me. Oh, Void Mirror's MH two. I was I was wondering if if this was like. One of the cards that I actually play tested with, but no, it is not. But I yeah, Void Mirror is a card I'm familiar with, but didn't recognize the name. Whereas Elven Chorus was one I double took. Okay. Uh, rounding out the top eight, we have Mono Black Coffers. This is another thing that I can't really speak to. And first time looking at this specific list, two troll of Kaza Doom. I I don't know if that's good here. What are we doing with that thing? Just casting it. I have no idea. Listen, like these mono blacklists, and we're going to talk more about these because there's more of them coming up. But like, oh no, they're they're like all over the place, and like there's enough good results from them that there's got to be something there. And I don't know exactly what it is, but they keep winning. They're built all differently. I don't really know where they're supposed to be. Some of them even don't even play coffers and still win a lot. The one witch's cottage, I guess. Like you don't really want to play fetches, but you kind of want to have access to it. I mean, I don't, I don't personally want to have access to it, but this player does, I guess. I mean, I think these are just like the ultimate. If you want to be a Karn deck and not play Tron, like this is kind of the next place to go. I guess. 
Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if when we actually figure out what the right configuration of mono black stuff to put together is, ends up being in a good place. Like there's enough different tools there to fight a lot of different things. And if you can nail down exactly the right place to be, I think it's probably a pretty good place to be. Yeah. All right. So final tournament, MXP Tacoma. Uh, won by Four Color Omnath with Karn defeating Rakdos Scam in the finals. I don't remember which player it was. Yeah, this is another one of those melee problems. Uh, whatever. Let's, let's talk about the Omnath deck first. So Karn. Preordain. Uh, I believe this was just Dingo's list. Two bolt, one ending, three ring. Uh, Dingo has three bolts, three rings. Either way, pretty close. Yeah, and pretty clean, right? I think um, four solitude, no furies basically effectively um yeah more things to cast off of your red and six i I don't know if i was gonna explore four color more this looks like a place i would want to be i think i i like the idea of karn but certainly with this sideboard specifically where it's like 12 karn tutor targets i think is too many because four color sideboard is actually really good and Solitude isn't necessarily the pitch elemental I want right now either. Yeah. I And I think you've kind of influenced me quite a bit here of I could probably buy the fact that maybe this Karn sideboard could be trimmed down quite a bit and still have Karn be pretty effective. All right. So Dingo only had, I say only, uh, had two triumphs, whereas uh, this player has three. It's a lot. Especially before preordains, it's a lot. I I really, I don't like it. Why? Why do you think you need the third one? Yeah, and we're committing 12 sideboard cards to the car. And I don't know. There, there seems like a lot to be figured out here still. There's a lot of different things going on, but I do think we might be onto something with Karn. Karn, I think, is one of the best cards in the format. And I think that I, I'm pretty excited and open to the idea of somebody figuring out a way to do Karn without 10 to 12 to 13 of our sideboard slots being eaten up by that. All right, so I like Chalice. I like Liquid Metal Coating, although I think that's more of a luxury than a necessity. Uh, I, I like the One Ring specifically in Omnath, mostly because it lets you cut a four drop. I like Haywire Mites. I've seen a lot of games come down to the ensnaring bridge stuff, both from like Tron and this, but I don't necessarily think it's correct. And then all the other stuff I don't really care about. It's like nice to have, but like, are, are they things that you actually need? Yeah. How big is the Delta between them and the next best thing you would get in these spots, right? The damping sphere, the graph diggers cage. Yeah. I don't even think cage is like the hate card that I would want unless I was specifically targeting Yogg. Yeah, and I think that the other interesting thing is like we're not really used to building five and six card sideboards. So like, hey, okay, they have the three Charma on the sideboard for Tron. And then it's like if we get two or three extra slots, like what are those? Yeah. Well, I would be trying to open up like six slots, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
And I think that's kind of where you want to be. And I think I, I, I think you could, right? But I, I think it, it, it probably is going to require a good amount of practice um, and figuring stuff out. Yep. But I like the car in, in general and um, was excited to see people doing it and was excited to see them doing well. I, I definitely like seeing a new take on an old deck, which this definitely is. And, you know, this, this deck also looks like pretty clean too, but definitely a lot of four drops. I, I think that you could certainly make an argument for like cutting an Omnath. I think so, that that's, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. And that was going to be one of my questions lined up for you is, is four Omnath seems to be pretty consistent across all these decks. Is that a place we really want to be, especially once we're on four card? It is your probably your biggest power spike card, so it's kind of hard to get away from it. But there are definitely decks where all the stuff that Almath is doing is not exactly where you want to be. But if Scam continues to be the most popular deck, and uh, you know, it's it's certainly you know it's one of the few decks to put like multiple copies into top eight of these tournaments too. Almath is one of your best cards against them. It's like hard to argue uh, against or hard to argue with cutting one of them. So yeah. I don't know. If um if you were four coloring tomorrow, are there preordains in your deck? No, absolutely not. You have you have enough to spend your mana on. Like pre preordain is good when I, I don't want to say this like monolithically, because that's not true. But like the the decks that I want preordain in especially in a deck list that is like Fetch Triumph or Fetch Shockland, uh, are ones that will generally have a low mana curve. And Preordain in a deck with 11 four drops is not where I want to be at all. I would I would much rather do what they did at the Pro Tour and play like two Utopia Sprawls instead of these Preordains. It makes some sense to me. And I think that like not only the high mana curve but also like the lack of diversity in what the cards do i think makes the card selection element like not super effective so i i don't really see a lot going for it in general here yeah i'm that's that's a good point actually where it's like you have four solitude four omnath uh maybe even something like the fairy time raveler it's like well can we actually like shave on these things and kind of like dirty it up a little bit maybe get like a fury in here maybe like a force negation or something you know just like at least give you different cards to look at when you're casting the preordain, not just like you're looking at four drops and lands, you know? Yeah. Like how, how good is the selection at that point when you just have 12 copies of everything? Yeah. And like, listen, I'm a big fan of like, again, capitalizing on the red and six ult. And from that angle, I like the additional spells and like you can churn through stuff there. Um, but I don't know that you need four of them. And yeah, I'd like to see some more one ofs and more uh, situational cards. Just if we're gonna, if that's the angle we're gonna be coming from. Yeah, completely legit. Okay, so, uh, ooh, weird. Yeah, so this uh, we're gonna go record after the Swiss again. The winner of the tournament was the second place person after the Swiss. So kind of weird, but uh, first after the Swiss is a mono black mid range deck that uh, has six field of ruins. No coffers, Shieldred, Grief, Bowmaster, Dothy, Voidwalker, all as four ofs. Uh, the One Ring, Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, also four ofs. Four Malakir, Rebirth as the only thing to really cheat on the Grief. And then uh, some random removal spells and like Night's Whispers. Uh, 
I don't, I don't know if this is exactly the mono black list that Spike was testing before the Pro Tour, but it looks pretty similar. Uh, it looks pretty similar. I kind of like where this one's at. Like, um, y'all say 22 lands plus four Malakir rebirths. That's a lot of lands. I love it. Yeah. Very different than the rest of the, the list we've been looking at. So what is, what's the, I remember figuring this out a while ago, but what is the difference with like Rebirth and the other cards, like the Fane Deaths? The, the two life? When this dies, return to the battlefield tap under his owner's control. Because there's like the one that actually just like gives the thing undying, which is maybe technically worse against like things that could put counters on your stuff or whatever. Yeah, like the, the two life is obviously a thing, but it's like, Oh, the other ones give a counter. That's what Two life not getting bigger, which matters yeah, quite yeah. a bit with the Fury, right? But when you don't have Fury, yeah. probably matters quite a bit less. And, and I mean, it matters with grief too, you know? It certainly cuts your clock by quite a bit, but... Yeah. yeah, it's, Not it's, by quite as much, right? Double strike's a thing, but... Um, yeah, lands are good. And I think um, I watched this guy beat up quite a bit of different people on camera. Um, I saw him beat a couple of scam people with Leyline of the Void, which was one of the things that looked impressive. Um... This deck continues to surprise me, and I'll reiterate, I, I still believe that when we figure out the right configuration of one of these mono-black decks, um, definitely think it's going to be a force to be reckoned with, if it's not yeah, already. I mean, this is this is Scam, but less weak to Bowmaster, no Ragavans. Has four Shieldred, so it's potentially a lot more threat-dense. Uh, I mean, the One Rings, too, but... Like maybe that makes you a little bit better positioned in actual mirrors. And then since you're mono black, you just get to play a bunch of field of runes against Tron, which is not perfect because maybe you're uh, still giving them a turn with Tron when they're on the play or whatever, but it, it still helps, you know? Yeah. I'm going to say it again. They have six more lands than the scam decks. Yeah. Before spells, I guess, Castle Lockthwain getting in the mix too and having it not be really terrible is is super nice. Although oh, I, I say this from pure upside from my perspective of like I think the scam decks are cheating on lands like on a pretty crazy level. And the yeah. fact that this deck's gonna be able to more reliably hit their land drops. And um I guess when you're when you're playing four shield grid for one ring, like you you kind of need to get to four. So that's probably necessary, but I, I see that as yeah. a very big appeal. Yeah, it is it is pretty weird to me that the scam decks are like we're cheating on lands, but also we're sideboarding two shieldreds and just don't think too hard about it, you know? Yeah. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh this land has thirteen, effectively thirteen swamps to enable Castle Lockdwain and then a Takanuma. I think I would rather just play even like another castle instead of the Takanuma. And then obviously the the field of ruins can like enable castle too, but that's a very weird scenario where I don't know. Yeah, you know. I wouldn't be shocked if the Takanuma comes up a non-zero amount, especially with the four shieldred. That's a pretty high impact card to return. Um, but I'm with you. Rather just activate castle, especially in your deck with four shieldred. Yeah. Well, listen, if shieldred's on the battlefield, we're in business. Yeah, but like it so you don't have shieldred, right? And you have four mana to spend on something. Would you rather castle in like have castle throughout the game or just like Takanuma once, you know? Yeah. It's fair. I'd rather just have castle. Yeah, the fifth shieldred's good. That's kind of how I view it. But I'm with you. Um, I think the second castle and 
I mean, what what are you saying? You would play two castle and the Takanuma would be a swamp? Could do that, but even if you're like, oh, I want another utility land, just play a third castle instead of the Takanuma. Yeah. Like 13, 13 is a fine, fine number. It's not ideal. And you're you're gonna run into some spots where it's gonna mess you up a little bit, but it is not the worst thing. Uh, yeah. I guess it, it gets a little bit worse when you're thinking about, you know, how often you play Malakir Rebirth as a land on one. Maybe that does matter. Yeah, listen, I, I really like the Shieldred squeeze of like a lot of decks have enough answers to answer the first Shieldred, but maybe not the second, right? So I would imagine that's the kind of the angle it comes from, but. Sure. Um, I'd also be tempted to try to squeeze some more Field of Ruins into this, but I, I would imagine that's a pretty tight squeeze that it puts you under. I, I'd be fine with that too, like cutting Takanuma for another another demolition field. But not a lot of Tron lists to be seen. Nope, no Tron in this top eight either. Uh, third place, another Omnath deck, no Karns, uh, two Fable, one Nissa, four Solitude, two Fury, 24 land, thank God. Uh, still two Triumphs, not surprised. Two Besages main, love that. Absolutely love that. Uh, sideboard for Charmaw. Still got the hollowed moonlights. Yeah. Kind of surprised by that. Yeah, get with the times. I don't I think that card's seen its day. But I, I would assume they're probably more here for living end than they are for anything else. Um I don't see a ton of other living end hate specifically. Um three endurance, but I guess I mean, three endurance, two chalice, so a little bit of respect. And and Dovin's veto too. Like that's, yeah. that's a decent amount of stuff. Yeah. So Probably a little over-indexing there. And then the third and fourth copies of Besaju in the sideboard as well. Yeah. So I, I, I again, look at a list like this, and I, I feel like this is very thoughtful as far as respecting the right amount of things and ensuring that you have good plans against the things that are scary. So I like this a lot. Yeah, I like the land count. I like the two fables. Um, I like the two furies. I like. I can't imagine playing Tron against this with four Charma and four Besaju post board. Just like <laughs> doesn't sound great. Does not sound fun. Um, don't stop the Tron hate, but don't sleep on it. But it it seems like uh, I'd be nervous that people are going to start sleeping on Tron soon. But we'll see. Uh, fourth place, we have Living Ends. Uh, normal, I would say. Looks pretty normal. 15 lands, which I think is pretty much where everybody's been more recently. And yeah, pretty straightforward. Um, In general, like very few Tron lists. And this is only the, I think, third Cascade deck that we've seen. At least in top eights, yeah. I'd be kind of curious to go through the actual full metagame breakdowns of things and see, uh, you know, like how badly Tron got beat up, how badly the various Cascade decks got beat up and whatnot. Yeah, not a ton of exciting things to say about living in, though. So no, not on. really. Uh, fifth place, Scam. Four Fable, one Pyro. 19 Land, one Agadim's Awakening. Uh, two Terminate, two Lightning Bolt, one Blood Moon, no Croxa. Sideboard, bunch of Pyromancers, three Chalice, two Explosives, three Leyline, two Blood Moon. Turok. Oh, and a, a filigree too. So like six anti-rhinos cards. So I kind of like this. You know, if, if you're like, I'm going to do leyline stuff for the mirror and I want an extra card against rhinos. They have the Turoks for 
Omnath. Uh, the only thing I would say is like it's it's skimping on Tron hate a little bit, and I think that you are correct in that once you have Leyline, maybe you want fewer chalices and like another explosives, ratchet bomb, whatever for rhinos. Yeah. What do you think of the two season pyromancer in the sideboard? It's, it's probably just another like grindy card for mirrors and Omnath and stuff. I think that's fine. If that's, yeah. if that's what you determine that you want, then I think that that is a fine card for that slot. And I don't know. I mean, you could you could make the argument for a whole bunch of stuff too. It's like, oh well, maybe if there's going to be some burn, like maybe I want Shield Grid as like a high impact card that is also really good there or something. But whatever. Yeah, Shield Grid, I would assume is where my head would jump to of what's competing for that slot. If a high impact card in these mid range matchups is what I'm looking for. Yeah, but, but you could you could look at it like. Shieldred in my 20 land deck is not very realistic, which I definitely agree with. And then it's like, well, maybe we look for something a little bit cheaper. Yeah, well, let maybe we get the 21st land in there. I, maybe. I, I, I someday. still want to see it. Someday. 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 Uh, curveball on the next one. Affinite. We're still calling it that? We Are we going to pull out the Cedric deck names? Is there even an... I guess there is an, a couple of affinity cards. Thoughtcast, baby. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is like not what you would expect. I think when when I say affinity, this is like the eight drum for Urza version of the deck that didn't used to do this before, which I think was correct because you didn't have a whole lot of reason to. But like this one has two force of negations main and another in the sideboard where like with Moonsnare prototype and Urza thought monitor, thought cast, etc. Like you have enough blue cards. And I've also seen decks like this popping up that are playing like some Lorian Revealed, which I, I kind of think is awesome when you have like eight drums and Urzas and stuff. And yeah. you want you want stuff to fuel pitch cards and whatnot. So uh, yeah, another another Urza Saga deck, just playing three copies in Nettlesys and beating people down, Pithing Needle main deck for Oblivion Stone. Again, maybe not a thing that uh, you would have done pre-Pro Tour, but now that Tron is very much on the radar, it is a thing that you should probably be doing. Like, this this deck looks pretty well built, honestly. Yeah, like if you think Urza's Saga is a place you want to be, I think this is a pretty good spot to land and probably makes the best use out of Urza's Saga of hardly any deck I can imagine, at least in a fair sense. Yeah, Concession uh, is is maybe having to play four Meb Knights to fuel all the drums in, in Bowmaster World, but I think that in a lot of those instances, like you get to choose when you deploy the Mem Knights and hopefully you're getting enough tempo out of that that maybe it doesn't matter all that much, you know? Yeah, I think being able to play your sagas on turn one and and make a creature on turn two is like a big part of that, right? So yeah. I think in general, like all of the format continues to get faster, going faster seems to be really important. We're embracing that here. Yeah, one metallic rebuke. I wonder how this plays out. So like in in Legacy with the A-Cast deck, I mostly found that I could like thought cast on turn one a decent amount of the time uh, or just like have force of will at the ready to not get completely blown out by a bowmaster or whatever. And I don't think that that's really going to be the case here. So I wonder if you want to maybe look at more copies of rebuke to like protect those turns where you go for a thought monitor or something. Yeah, I could buy that, and that would make a lot of sense, and certainly a, a card with a really high ceiling as far as 
power level goes. And if you're going to convince me to put four Memnite, four Ornithopter in my deck, um, Metallic Rebuke is a somewhat of a payoff for doing that. Makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Uh, I will say the th- three stern scoldings in the sideboard seems to be like the the Bowmaster answer and a couple of dismembers and stuff too. So, yeah, again, a, a very thoughtful deck, it seems. Yeah, and not super shocked to see it do well, if I'm being honest. Um, Urza is a card that I wouldn't be surprised if one of the unfound decks in modern ends up having Urza in it. And uh, a card that did well at the Pro Tour 2, obviously in a less fair sense than this, but um, definitely a card that has a super high ceiling and that I think um, that and Saga are pretty well positioned in general right now. Yeah. Uh, seven plays Hammer, Mono White this time, two Surge of Salvations uh, with the Amirius Calls in the mana base, four Solitudes in the sideboard. You know, still four Esper Sentinels. Pretty normal looking deck. Yeah, this looks um, like the relative stock list right down to the one Steel Shapers gift that we saw nearly a year ago at this point. And then rounding out top eight, another copy of Scam. Uh, two Terminate, two Bolt, two Blood Moon, 20 lands, no Croxa, no Pyromancer. Boring. Straightforward. Two Blood Moons, still respecting Tron. Sideboard's got a little bit of a spice in it, but nothing crazy. Yeah. Uh, mana base, this one has a basic mountain also, which is normally something you only see when there are season Pyromancers, but... Uh, again, if it's like a burn consideration or whatever, it makes sense, even if you're not playing a double red card. And w- worth noting, we've talked a lot about burn, and I can't remember the last time there was a noteworthy IRL modern tournament with burn in the top eight. There's uh, Naya Blitz in 10th. It's not the same thing, though. Not the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, Burn continues to do pretty well on Magic Online. And the other thing from Magic Online that has become kind of popular in the last couple of weeks is like the Jun Saga deck, which I think is from Respect the Cat, but could be wrong about that. And it is sort of weird to not see any sort of that proliferation translate to real life, especially because like people people just want you to give them any reason to play Tarmogoyf, you know? Yeah. So I'll say I'm on the lookout for decks to try and explore over the next handful of weeks before we go to Columbus. And the John Saga deck looked appealing to me, but I'm really my first reaction was like, what can I play instead of Tarmogoyf? Oh, I wanted to cut the red. <laughs> I wanted to play Reclaimer instead of Regavan. Okay. I mean, listen, I, I feel like the red's more for Renin 6 than Ragavan. I know. I, I don't think that Renin 6 and Urza Saga is a combo. Yeah, and it might not be. I mean, Renin 6 and Besaidu certainly is, and I just think Renin 6 in general is a really powerful card, and um, we actually get the instance here in the Jundex to, you know, make some use out of that. No, yeah. I, I mean, Renin 6 is fantastic there. Absolutely, I agree, but... I, I just saw enough problems with uh, the red cards, just like you know, Ragavan kind of in general, and Ren 6 alongside Saga. At least those lists are still playing like 24 land or whatever, but, um, you know, it's it's just not ideal. So I was kind of flirting with the idea of green-black, but yeah, you got, you got big Tron problems, let me tell you. Yeah, so 
I think in general, Cascade decks got beat up real good. Tron decks got slapped around. Where where, where are you leaning? What things are you exploring? You got a tournament coming up. Like what do you what things do you want to try? Well, Scam and Omnath did really well, and it's it's kind of weird to me considering that Omnath got beat really badly at the PT, but I think that they're bouncing back quite well. And part of that has to do with players being a little bit more thoughtful and how they can construct their decks. You know, like there wasn't a whole lot of Tron late Tron hate present at the Pro Tour, but there is certainly a decent amount of it after the fact. And I think that that is helping to carry them. So that's cool. That is, you know, that deck adapting and the format continuing to like shift and churn a little bit. And you know that Scam is going to be relatively popular and Omnath is pretty solid into that. So that kind of leads to them being a little bit more successful too. So I think if you have a deck that is good into Scam and Omnath, that is the thing you should be doing. And before I was like, well, I'll just play Scam, but uh, not not sure I know the best way to approach the Omnath matchup, although I think it would start with still trying to play a, a couple Blood Moons main deck, and then I like uh, getting like the Turoks back into the sideboard and stuff. I think that that's fine. I don't think it's great, though. Yeah. I think that the, the interesting thing is Scam continues to fight through all of the hate, and I think everybody's gunning for it, and it continues to put up great results, which definitely concerns me a little bit about the format in general, and I don't think anybody would ever be wrong for registering Scam for that reason of, like, it can clearly fight through that hate. Um, but I think Four Color is definitely a place to explore more where people still haven't really figured out what the right configuration or list is, and we're going in a lot of different directions, so... Um, if there was a place to focus and work, that's probably where I'm jumping to next. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird where the the stuff for four color that I want to do doesn't necessarily help with scam, and if anything, like makes that matchup worse, which is definitely a thing that I'm trying to not do. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think, like, listen, I would hope that four color is like somewhat inherently favored against scam to begin with. But, like, again, if we learned <laughs> anything here, it's that like there, there no amount of scam hate is enough. Yeah. I, it was, well, it's inherently good, except for if you, you know, change 20 cards, which is what I'm looking at doing. You <laughs> yeah, know, fair, fair. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, it's good. But then you look at my list and you're like, yeah, I could see why that would not be good. You know, you're talking about playing like force negation main deck and stuff. It's like, yeah. yeah. Is 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 this more in like the Greg Orange counter spell blue white with Omnath range or no, which direction? God no, I'm dude counter spell. I'm not making my deck that bad against scam. <laughs> you know, no, it's it's more just like is solitude the actual elemental I want to play? Do I want to enable force negation because now I know it's a thing that I can be doing? It's like you know force negation and subtlety is maybe good against part of the metagame, but not necessarily the scam metagame. Yeah. So it seems like a bad thing to do, but I'm just now figuring out how to do it well. And I like the look of these decks. It's just like, it's not the time to be doing this. So. Yep. I'll say noteworthy too, the blue-black control decks just absent from all of these conversations. Oh, yeah. that, that's That's not even a deck, I don't think. Yeah. Um, 
but if the 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 one ring force negation subtlety combination of cards is like something that I think is pretty untapped powerful but hasn't quite been figured out yet. Well, part of, part of the problem is that it is tough for that package to be good when scam is like 20% of the meta game, right? Yeah. Like this the subtlety side is completely fine against them, but force is is really not where you want to be and then you have things like rhinos that it's like they're kind of priced into playing force, which is fine. And they are playing like more and more copies of subtlety, I think as time goes on. And then it's just like, well, I'll pitch my force to my subtlety. And hopefully that, that works out against scam and you don't really care about it. And then you side out the forces, whatever. Yeah. Uh, like but you, you, for other using- decks, it's like, well, I'm playing force in my slot specifically of like interaction and needing it to work out. And it just doesn't. Yeah. Using force to protect your rhinos is not a bad spot to be on a thought. It doesn't feel horrible. Right. But yeah, at least it's a thing that you can do, you know? Yeah. But when you're using it to protect some of your other more fair interaction is not a great place to be. No, with, with four color, you're like, well, I can't afford to like force this thought seize. That's silly. So I'll just let them thought seize me. And then they take like your one action card and you're just left with nothing. Yeah. And like a force that doesn't do anything. It's like, <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> Screwed either way. Yep. Cool. So, uh, you know, maybe a month from now or whatever, I'll be able to like dust this off and have a thing that looks cool is somewhat innovative and actually lines up, but now is not that time. And I don't know. That means that I'm not super hyped about playing four color, I guess. I'd rather play scam instead. Just something a little bit more proactive and straightforward. Yeah. Well, you got a modern tournament in three days. You got another one in two weeks. Ah, I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> Magic Online, save me. Tell me what to play. Make something good. Don't let me play creativity again. Uh, I mean, I'll I'll do my best, but I am not like you are very confident in your ability to make me do things, which is wrong. But also, I know that I don't necessarily exert that power over you. Nor am I going to try super hard to do that. So, um, I mean, I'll tell you. I'll tell you once, but that that's about it. Like it's yeah. up to you whether or not you listen. Well. If you go and crush the tournament this weekend with something that's not scam, that's a good start. Elvish Reclaimer? What if I do that? Listen, if you fit my criteria of not scam, crush the tournament, we have a conversation. <laughs> Dude, what if I play like Gifted Etherborn and Pioneer and Elvish Reclaimer in, <laughs> in Modern? No. D- Dude, I'm just asking I to lose. I got to play a good deck in at least one of the tournaments, yeah. right? But yeah. Well, if you play a good tor- a deck in the first tournament, you're fine. No, I, I think they're all one-day tournaments. Oh, oh, so you're just priced into playing all three? Yeah. Got it. Got it. What, how many gifted Aetherborns are we registering? I don't know yet. I pulled out... Okay, so I found... I located four copies of Sign in Blood. All right, that's step one. I was going through my my boxes of quote-unquote playable stuff and noticed that gifted Aetherborn was no longer in those boxes. <laughs> So at some point I decided like this card is crap and I'm never playing with it again. Uh, And I don't know where they ended up, you know? So I I have like some boxes of like bulk ish stuff to go through. Uh, But I'm guessing it's going to be pretty hard to find on site. You know, you left this part out of the conversation earlier when I said that card was not on the surface playable. Uh, I did. 
But that's because I thought like formats were different. Like when probably when I pulled it out of my stuff was when I was playing like Sultai with Oko. And it's just like, yeah, we're not even close to that. But it's like, you know, you ban enough cards, eventually gifted either form becomes good again. It's hard to imagine. I don't know if we're there yet, but prove us wrong. Listen, I don't think it compares that poorly to Blood Tithe Harvester. All right. I, I don't I'm not with you there. That's fine. That's okay. You get a lot of cardboard out of Blood Tithe Harvester. Yeah, I don't I don't think the Blood Tithe Harvester is like all that incredible of a two drop either. So, you know, they, they both kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Blood Tithe Harvester has never really existed in a world without Fable. So it'd be interesting what that looked like. Well, I believe that that format is standard currently and people are just not playing red anymore. Totally fair. They're playing they're playing like the the Yuta Takahashi card and make disappear alongside their black cards. Yeah. So I, I guess as we're wrapping up here, like the world championships are coming up. Did you know that? Uh yeah, it's it's in Vegas, right? Yeah. And it is standard? It's it it's standard and the new set draft, I believe. Okay. Is it new set standard also? Uh I, I, believe I would hope so. so. I would assume so. Yeah. But I, well, look, they've they've done that before where it was like the Hazaret red decks. Uh like this the the set had been spoiled completely and was like coming out the next week and they're like, let's all play Hazaret again. It's like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> this is How the did worst. we get here? Uh, no, yeah. It, it was the Chain Whirler Red Decks. It was they they weren't even like playing Hazard anymore. But yeah. it was it was even worse. Uh, are we going to pay attention to standard leading up to the World Championships? Is that something you're interested in? Well, listen, man, we can. Also, a bunch of cards got previewed, and we're not talking about that. Uh and that's that's kind of like your your choice, your way of doing things. Like I could I could talk about new cards. I could talk about standard all day long. You just tell me when. Well, listen, we we can do the new cards. Some of them are pretty cool. We could do that next week. You tell me. Well, I mean, might also talk about why I should never register Elvish Reclaimer again, you know? <laughs> yeah. or we have so many more. things to talk about. We don't yeah. know. We don't know how the weekend's going to go. Yeah. So We'll see. Time will tell. All right. We'll figure it out. I have faith in us. Cool. Game. Good luck.